It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, courtesy of The Athletic, a subscription-based sports news site for real fans. It's a great mix of national voices that you already know, like Jay Glazer, Mike Sandell, Mike Lombardi, the late, great Don Banks, or for The Athletic, too, and awesome local writers. In fact, one of my buddies, Harif Hassan, covers the Vikings, and I was just reading an awesome article that he wrote about this critical offseason for the Vikings. So if you're somebody that likes coverage of your own team, Great, plenty of that, but if you're somebody that likes coverage of other teams like I do, you can get tons of great writers that cover teams besides your own, and as I said, great national writers too. And here's the best part, not only do you get first-rate reporting, but you get all kinds of great analysis, advanced analytics, in-depth player profiles, and more, and it's completely ad-free, no clickbait, just great content. Pro sports, college sports, The Athletic has it all. So if you're not subscribing yet, you're really missing out. Want to get in on the action? I got a great deal for you. Just for being a Play Like a Jet listener, you can go to theathletic.com slash overtime, all lowercase letters, and you'll get yourself 40% off a year subscription. 40%, that's a lot. Go to theathletic.com slash overtime, all lowercase letters, and get all of this fantastic sports coverage in The Athletic for 40% off today. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And this is the off-season roundtable, but it's also part two of the discussion that Joe Caparoso and I were having on the Turn on the Jets podcast yesterday. We're going through the 12 points of his 12-point bold plan to fix the Jets which Lord knows needs to happen because it's been a decade of misery for all Jets fans. So, of course, with that, we welcome in the boss, the head honcho over at TurnOnTheJets.com, Mr. Joe Caparoso. Joe, what's going on? Happy to be here and continue our conversation from yesterday about how we can hopefully rectify this roster, which has not made the playoffs Mm -hmm. in nine years. Uh, It's been a long nine years, Joe. Let's hope that the next nine years aren't as long. I'm hoping that Joe Douglas, even if he doesn't follow your plan, knows what he's doing in terms of constructing the team and getting the most out of his draft capital. I think that the stuff that he did with Philadelphia and with Baltimore gives us encouragement. But now he's the one sitting in the chair making the decisions. It's a very, very different thing to be the guy 
pulling the strings as opposed to making the recommendations. So we talked about what he may do in terms of the offensive line. We talked about the possibility of trading Jamal Adams. Now let's get into wide receivers. And Joe, I think this is one of the deepest wide receiver classes in a really long time. There are so many really good receivers and some great ones too, potentially. We talk about C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma. We can talk about Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs, both of them from Alabama. We could talk about T. Higgins from Clemson. Obviously, Van Jefferson would be one of them. We know Clayton Smarslock, our guy at TurnOnTheJets.com, loves him. And he's Sean Jefferson, the Jets wide receiver coach's son. He seems to be rising up the board. The only thing I don't love about him is the fact that he's a little bit older, but that's okay. Terry McLaurin was too, and I would take him in a heartbeat. So, Joe, let's talk about how they can get wide receivers because let's, for the sake of argument, say that Robbie Anderson goes. We talked about what you would do, maybe get a guy like Perriman. you got to do something. Another guy I would keep my eye on if he shakes free, and I'm not saying he's a great solution, but at least could be a Band-Aid, is all Sean Jeffrey. And the only reason I throw that out is because he's very close with Joe Douglas, if you recall. Joe Douglas was the one that recruited Alshon Jeffrey to Philadelphia. He doesn't seem to be anywhere close to as good as he used to be, but if you were to get him on a one-year flyer as a last resort once Robbie Anderson leaves and you just need somebody to be that veteran presence, I don't think that would be the worst idea, I guess. But you really want to build a receiving core that can be here for the long haul. We know that Jamison Crowder is a good receiver and he's going to be here for a bit. But beyond that, you got to go into the draft and you got to hit. Now, you don't necessarily have to get a quote-unquote number one wide receiver, and I hate that term anyway because just get good receivers. Whoever's a one, a two, a three, whatever, just get guys that are good at the wide receiver spot. So take me through what you would do here in terms of allocating your draft capital and how you would build that young receiving core to Sam Darnold's strengths. Look, I think Jet fans need to wrap their head around the reality that Robbie Anderson probably isn't coming back. And it's not the most robust free agent market. Amari Cooper's not coming here, so let's stop suggesting that it's not going to happen. Um, so when you get past him in free agency, are you going to go get a guy like Rashard Higgins, who had some nice production with Baker Mayfield his rookie year? You know, there's some injury risks there. Are you going to take a swing on a guy like Rashad Perryman, who had, you know, some really nice moments in Tampa last year, and we can't really see them you know, paying him with all the other receivers that they have? Could you maybe go for a guy like Devin Funches, who had some nice production in Carolina, missed all of last year with an injury, but you're rolling the dice on guys like this for a one-year deal. I think those are names that intrigue me because of their potential upside. I think the reality is that you're going to see names that have a familiarity, familiarity with Adam Gase to an extent, and Joe Douglas in some cases, but you're going to hear plenty of Alshon Jeffrey and Emmanuel Sanders chatter. You can bet Demarius Thomas is coming back next year for Adam Gase. Uh, I'm sure Vincent Smith and Braxton Berrios will be back. We know Crowder will be back. Uh, but those are probably common names we'll hear in free agency. I'm not necessarily anticipating any sort of major trade or transaction from them like we got the Brandon Marshall year. And then the draft, look, I gem there's some really exciting names in this draft in the first round. And I can't lie that part of me just wants an exciting offensive player to root for who's a skill position guy, it's been so long. The reality, though, is it's not the smartest roster building to be investing first-round picks in a wide receiver. Now, if you end up with two first-round picks, so you trade back, it's a little easier to stomach. But this is a deep class, and I expect the Jets not to take a receiver in round one and instead focus their attention on that position to really be like one of their two round three picks uh, and definitely something they focus on in day three. So there's going to be 
an interesting range of names that they could potentially add. But if you're going to go that route, you really better cover your bases from the veteran perspective. Because again, you cannot go out there week one with a rookie day two pick, Jameson Crowder, and Demarius Thomas as your three receivers. You need to get more depth and talent overall, whether that's a Perryman, whether that's a Higgins, whether that is even an Alshon Jeffrey, uh, which is a risk with his ability to stay healthy. Uh, but you have to add a body if Robbie Anderson is going to leave, which candidly I think he is going to. I'm not rooting for that to happen. I'd invest in keeping him, uh, but I feel like he's a goner. And I'm not, as much as I love the guy, I can't count on anything from Quincy Anulaw next year. I like the idea of going out and getting young receivers in the second, third, or fourth round because I think that this class is so deep that you can land some really good ones. And also another name, by the way, that I think that we should talk about here is Albert Wilson because it looks like he may shake free from Miami. He was the only player that Gase had in Miami that actually spoke positively of Gase. So I think that if he shakes free, there's a very good possibility that he could land here, especially if Robbie Anderson is gone. Now, beyond wide receiver and offensive line, let's talk a little bit about the defense. I know that the focus seems to be on offense, but there are a lot of holes on the defense, too, in terms of the premium positions. I think that they're only a few moves away from making this an excellent defense, but the spots where the holes are are massive. So let's talk about the secondary here. We know that Brian Poole is an internal free agent. Will the Jets bring him back? I'd like to see him back. I know that you would too, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. And they've got some guys that showed some promise. Bless Austin, Arthur Millette. But that can't be all they have, especially after they get rid of Tremaine Johnson, which I think we both expect them to do. So talk to me a little bit about this. What would you do with the secondary? Well, I think, look, whether you're keeping Adams or not, you want to bring Brian Poole back. I think he was quietly one of their best moves last offseason and really solidified the slot corner position. That's a hard role to fill, and I don't think they should mess around and you know, even let him in free agency, pay him before he hits free agency. And then I think you want to add another veteran corner. I think they very well may draft a corner or two. When that comes in the draft remains to be seen. But you want to look at some of the veteran options out there. It's not a particularly deep class or an overly maybe there's depth there's not a lot of top end talent so can you go potentially get a Bradley Roby a Darquise Denard Bradbury's been a popular name with Jet fans he's going to be a little more expensive I don't advocate paying for Chris Harris I don't want to pay for any old corners after what we've seen with Tremaine and Revis and some of the other situations but I think you got to get another guy who has some starting experience to support Austin and Wallet. Uh, who both, I think, will be back and have some type of roles next year. But you want pull in the slot. You want to add another veteran to the outside. And then ideally, you're looking at adding another body or two in the NFL draft, depending on how many picks you get. I think the most likely scenario is that May and Adams are back as your safeties if you did move on from Adams in some way, which, again, I don't think is likely to happen. There's names out there like Justin Simmons or Trey Boston. No one's going to really replace Adams, but you're basically just saying we're reallocating our roster resources to a different side of the football in a different position. But in a more pragmatic offseason, I think they need to add a veteran corner and they probably need to draft a corner in one of the middle rounds and bring Brian Poole back. I don't even think that's debatable. Why even let Poole hit free agency? 
Yeah, I'm with you. I think that no matter what you thought of Arthur Millette and Blessing Austin, you can't possibly 100% count on them, especially Austin because of the injuries that he sustained. He showed some nice work over the six games that he played, but you can't possibly bank on that. And Arthur Millette, you'd like to bring back for depth, but I think he got exposed a little bit down the stretch as well. So you've got to get yourself a veteran to go with those guys, but I do think that it's okay to go without a quote-unquote shutdown stud corner as long as you've got a strong pass rush. And this is where we get to the next part of your plan, Joe. You call it front seven re-up and hope. Talk to me a little bit about that. So basically, this is accepting a reality that the Jets are not going to go crazy and adding new linebackers and new edge rushers. I, I don't know if they're going to be able to win at the top of the edge free agent market where they've struggled in recent years. I think in the draft... In one scenario, I would not be shocked if they ended up with an edge with their first-round pick. Hopefully, it's an offensive lineman, and if it is, you're basically saying, you know what, we think we can get by with a player like Terrell Basham and Jordan Jenkins and Greg Williams' system. Greg Williams is going to manufacture a pass rush with who you have, and you know what? We invested so many resources into our defensive line that we're going to count on them to generate the pressure. We're going to bet on Quinn and Williams to take the big step we're going to bet on Henry Anderson because we don't have a choice because of how much money we paid him, that he's going to refine his 2018 form. Nathan Shepard is going to keep getting better. Foley Fadikasi is going to keep getting better. Kyle Phillips is going to keep getting better. And all those guys is where we're going to get our pass rush from. We have C.J. Mosley in the middle, so we're not going to go crazy on allocating resources to a massive investment at edge. We're going to see if we can get by with Bashan and Copeland and Jenkins who they could proactively sign before he brings back. I do think he's a fairly replaceable player, but in this model, you want to keep him in-house so you could basically you know, continue to tread water at that positional group. And in this model of an offseason, when you're putting so many resources into the offensive line, something has to get the short shrift. And in this, it's going to be the edge. And you're basically saying that, you know what, we spent all these resources on defensive linemen. That's where the pass rush is going to come. I think that if they have the opportunity to bid on somebody like Yannick Ngakwe, that it would make a lot of sense to do it. Because I think that, as I said, the strength of this draft is wide receiver and offensive line. If you can go ahead and get somebody like Ngakwe, who's a really rare gem at 24 years old, to get a top edge rusher at the peak of his powers in free agency, which is very rare to find, I think you go ahead and do that. And now you've put that key piece in there because I think if you look at what the San Francisco 49ers built on defense. They built an excellent interior defensive line, mostly Armstead and Buckner there. And then you look at the edges behind them, you have Bosa and you have D Ford. I think if you can replicate that formula, that jet defense could be really nasty, especially with a healthy CJ Mosley and if Avery Williamson comes back. The idea of getting somebody like Ngakwe and plugging him in there, and then now you can focus all of your energy in the draft on offense, that would be a preferable move if you can make it happen. Now, I don't expect them to be able to get Yannick Ngakwe because if he shakes free, I think that there are going to be a ton of other teams that are going to be betting on him. But I do like the idea of going after a top flight edge rusher, one that's not necessarily towards the end, but somebody who's closer to his prime. And as I said, I think that if you have Quinnen Williams there, who's now freed up because you don't have him having to take up so many blockers because you have healthier middle linebackers and now you have edge rushers to help him out, you have a chance to really build something that could be awesome for the long haul. And I think Joe 
Joe Douglas has to build a team that's going to succeed over the next three to five years. And again, people will say, well, if you do that, then you're not using the money on offense. I get that. But again, remember, you don't just have to use the money on offense. You don't just have to use the number 11 pick on offense. You can use that on a key piece like that, on something that we all know that the Jets have desperately needed for a really long time, and you have other draft picks to fill the need. As I said, Joe, I think that a lot of Jets fans' minds have been poisoned by the fact that they've had such a rough time hitting on players past the first round. But if they could get Ngakwe, if Joe Douglas can go out and convince him to sign here, I would absolutely be in favor of that. I'm not against what you're saying in terms of just kind of smiling and bearing it and going about your business and hoping that they can find somebody that can come in here and at least plug in the hole. But if you have the opportunity to get an impact player like that, I think it would be something well worth doing, especially if you're going to let go of Avery Williamson and now your inside linebackers aren't as strong. That would help compensate for that. But we'll get to that in a second because I know that you have some thoughts on what to do at inside linebacker. You already talked about getting rid of Avery Williamson. We'll get to the part of your plan as far as replacing him. But before we do that, we already talked about Le'Veon Bell, who's number nine. I agree with you. Absolutely zero reason to pay him to play somewhere else, especially since I think if you fix the offensive line, he can still be a really good player for this team. Kicker. This is something that doesn't get talked about a lot. Sam Ficken was okay at times, but I thought he was erratic. And this is a position that the Jets have really struggled with the last couple of years. What do you think they should do? Would you make an investment late in the draft, maybe the sixth or seventh round? Would you consider that if you felt like you could get a kicker that could be here for a really long time? Or would you go the veteran route? I'm not really crazy about using draft picks on kickers and punters, even though Lachlan Edwards has you know, generally worked out pretty well, especially for a team with as many needs as the Jets. I do think you know, the early part of this year was a disaster with Vedvik, but the prior years before that, they had kind of done a good job of kind of cherry-picking a veteran every year who was competent or even very good in some situations. I think you know, if the Jets had Ficken from week one last year, I think you know, your kicker situation is okay. It's not great. It's not terrible. I think it's an okay veteran market. I think a couple guys like Dan Bailey and Nick Folk will be out there again. I wouldn't be shocked, I guess, if they use a resource to kicker after how last year played out, but I still kind of skew more, more towards kind of looking at the veteran market. Obviously, you know, special teams, you know, are important to an extent, uh, but the Jets have gotten by without going crazy investing here. And, you know, I don't know how many more games they win last year if they pay Jason Myers that massive contract. I mean, obviously the top one is the Buffalo game, but I think they win that if they have thick instead of that pick anyway. That's really kind of the only one that comes to mind for me. So I'm kind of anticipating them bringing in a different veteran or maybe bringing Ficken back and bringing in a veteran to compete with him is how I see it probably playing out. Now let's talk about the other odds and ends here. What do you think about the inside linebacker position? I know that you were talking about potentially moving on from Avery Williamson. What would you do there? What would you do at backup quarterback? What would you do for depth all around on the roster? Any particular moves you like? Yeah, look, I don't think there's any doubt that Neville Hewitt, James Burgess, and Blake Cashman are a downgrade from Avery Williamson. I just, if they can't restructure him, I just think you could only invest so much money in inside linebackers, defensive linemen, and safeties. It's just... You have to disperse in some way. And I think C.J. Mosley healthy is good enough to elevate a guy like Burgess, Cashman, or Hewitt, or some combination of those three and make them okay enough as a starter at inside linebacker. And you could get by being an overall B-plus at inside linebacker if you're better in other positions. So 
getting some combination of those guys back, I think is a priority. If you end up moving on from Williamson in some way, backup quarterback, I wouldn't be surprised if Gase brought Simeon back. He's going to bring back a guy who he's been with before and is comfortable with his quote unquote system. Theoretically, you know, I think Matt Moore or Case Keenum are more talented or more exciting options if Darnold goes down. But if Darnold goes down, this whole thing goes to shit anyway. So I don't know how much it is worth stressing over, but I wouldn't be surprised if Simeon ended up being the guy. If you wanted to spend a little more, maybe you go after Keenum or Matt Moore, or you look at a late round pick to develop behind Darnold as a long-term backup. Um, and then elsewhere around the roster, I think we mentioned some of these guys who, you know, you want to focus on bringing back, but guys like Alex Lewis, guys like Arthur Mollette, you know, I think you, if you're going to keep Bell, I think you could get by with like Powell and Josh Adams being the backup who we saw a little bit of last year. I don't think Montgomery is going to come back in any way, shape or form. And I've already accepted that Powell is going to be on the team forever. Uh, maybe they use a mid or late round pick on a running back to develop long term, but I don't think they're going to use an early round pick on one. And I think, as I mentioned, at receiver, we'll see Vincent Smith and Braxton Berrios back. Berrios should probably be the primary returner, at least punt returner. Smith would be the kick returner. And then your roster, you know, sort of rounded out a tight end with Herndon, Griffin, and Wesco being your three guys there. Maybe the Jets look at a more solid backup blocking option, but I wouldn't be shocked if they just stayed put internally with those three guys. Joe, I got to ask you a couple of quick hit questions here. First one. We're talking about your overall plan for what the Jets should do in the offseason. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Play like a jet. Play like a jet. How confident are you that Joe Douglas can pull off a plan, maybe not like yours, but one that is successful and that steers the Jets' ship in the right direction? I have no reason not to be confident in Joe Douglas. I think he has a good resume, he has a good reputation around the league. My The reason I am not over the moon confident that he will 100% deliver is that I think Adam Gay still holds a lot of sway in this organization, more than I'm comfortable with. Um, and I think that's going to have an impact on how certain things play out and the interest level certain players are going to have in coming here. I think it's a real thing that certain guys are just not going to want to play with them. Now, money is talks and money is the key thing, but sometimes, you know, other teams are going to make competitive, comparable offers and guys are just aren't going to want to come here. Uh, it's hard for the Jets to overcome being bad for as long as they've been and also overcome having a coach who I don't think has the best reputation around the league overall, maybe some pockets of players like him, but overall I would say it's on the negative side. Now I think Douglas will absolutely focus on the offensive line. The Jets offensive line is going to get improved this off season. The question is, can they improve enough to overcome a bad offensive coaching staff and to overcome what is likely to be not guaranteed to be a very difficult schedule. That's going to have a lot of travel and a lot of games against really good teams, including the 49ers and the chiefs, two games against the bills, two games against the Patriots a game against Denver with drew lock, who may end up being okay. Uh, an improved Arizona team fly to LA to play the Rams and the chargers who, you know, were not playoff teams last year, but have a lot of talent and could get better uh, around the uh, margins. So, I think Douglas is going to get this team better, particularly on the offensive line. It's just, is it going to be enough? So I don't think he's going to do anything this offseason that's going to have him saying, oh, my God, is this guy Insick or McCagnin again? I just don't know if the benefits of what he does are ultimately going to come through in the record next year. It might not be until they move on from Adam Gase long term. Do you have any hope left for Adam Gase? Uh, no, but again, I've been wrong about things. In the past, I'll be wrong again in the future. I think was, I hope I am very wrong about this prediction. I think my feel on Adam Gase is that he is a competent offensive mind who is not a good leader of men and does not do a good job of adjusting in games. And I think because of that, he's never really going to bottom out. This team won't go 3-13 and 13 with him, but they're going to kind of be stuck in no man's land. I think Travis Wingfield said it best. It's basically a mediocre, a bad football team masking as a mediocre football. Team. And I think that's what they were last year. They were a five and eleven team who finished seven and nine because they got to play Matt Barkley and Doug Hodges. People think they were ultimately better than they were down the stretch. You know that's harsh, but I think that's just the reality. And I've seen it before with the 2013 Jets and other seasons like that. So I think it's pretty likely that the Jets go six and ten, seven and nine, maybe eight and eight next year, and they're going to keep Gase again for one more year uh, after that. Like even if they don't make the playoffs and even if they aren't over 500 and it will be one more year after that before they make the change because I think Chris Johnson's going to be stubborn about the hire. Now maybe Woody Johnson comes back and shakes things up. Maybe the Jets make a midseason change and surprise everyone, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. Look, is there a scenario where everything hits right and Sam Darnold takes the leap? That The ways to overcome Adam Gase are Sam Darnold making the leap, like the real leap, and Joe Douglas having an exceptional offseason. If the Jets do that, yeah, I think they can win nine or ten games next year with Adam Gase. They, Gase was able to manage that in 2016 with a roster he inherited and an easier schedule that kind of broke his way. So I don't think that's out of the question, but of course the offseason needs to play out. Of course, thing, of course things would change, 
But if you ask me today, I'd say Adam Gase is a seven-win coach. The Jets are going to win seven or eight games next year, and they'll probably run it back one more time, and then we'll go from there. Since you mentioned Sam Darnold taking the leap, what do you think needs to happen for him to take that leap, and how big of a leap do you think he's capable of taking? I mean, I think Sam is really talented. I think he's, you know, refreshing to see the Jets have a quarterback this talented. He's very young still, and he could still develop and get better. I think they – I don't think we need to say that he needs to become Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, or Lamar Jackson, who I think are going to be the three clear-cut best quarterbacks in the conference for the time being. I think he needs to get into that second tier uh, in the conference, and that's kind of how I'm looking at it because I want the team to make the playoffs. He has to be clearly better than Jacoby Brissett, Derek Carr, Drew Locke, um, what's left of Ben Roethlisberger, um, what's left of Tom Brady if he's still their quarterback. Um, can he not get outperformed by Joe Burrow and Tua their rookie years? You know, I think he was better in many ways than a guy like Garner, Garner Minshew last year. But if you look at their stats side by side, you're like, Jesus Christ, I can't believe Garner Minshew had this level of production compared to Sam Darnold. Now, of course, there was a lot of extenuating circumstances that go with that. But you don't even want that to be a question next year. You want Sam to unquestionably be the fourth or fifth best quarterback in the conference who's knocking on the door of those top three guys. So I don't think it's fair to say, look, man, like I need him to be an MVP candidate next year. He's got to be an all-pro. No. I want him to get in sort of that fourth or fifth best quarterback in the conference, ninth to 10th best quarterback in the league, uh, and really get that yards per attempt well into the sevens, you know, be a little smarter with the football, use his legs more. He's an athlete. He should never run for 60 yards in a season. Some of that's on Adam Gase. Um, I think he has the ability to do it. I hope the Jets make it as easy as possible on him. I hope he keep him the full 16 games because he hasn't done that yet through his first two years. Last question, Joe, before you go. What would your max offer to Robbie Anderson be? How badly would you like to see him back on the Jets? I'd give Robbie four years, $60 million, most of the guaranteed money in the first two years of the contract. It's $15 million a year. It's high. But free agencies, people getting overpaid in the market, getting reset. And I just don't think taking away Sam Darnold's lead receiver uh, and then trying to patch it back together is a smart thing to do, especially if there's a real chance that Le'Veon Bell leaves. I just can't wrap my head around the thought of everyone saying the importance of keeping Sam Darnold in the same system for consistency's sake and then having his top receiver and really his number two receiver and Le'Veon Bell both leave in the same offseason. So I think Robbie has a unique skill. I don't care if he's not a true number one receiver because I don't even know what that really means. He has a unique talent that opens up other people. He has decent enough chemistry with Sam Darnold and if he gets 16 games of Sam Darnold, I think he could be right on the cusp of 1,000 yards on a yearly basis. Uh, and I think you want to invest in your young talent, not create another hole to fill. So I think if someone's going to go over that number, uh, I think you're getting a little bit into crazy town, but I don't think 14, 15 million a year is crazy town. That's what he's going to get paid. There's a reason he's going to get paid that. Would you consider using the franchise tag or the transition tag? I think the transition tag makes a lot of sense. I know we've had some chatter on that on Twitter, and I think you mentioned it earlier. Uh, I think that could make sense. The franchise tag, man, I think you could be up around 18, 19, 20 million dollars. It's been a while since the Jets have used that. I'd be surprised if they did. I think the transition tag is interesting. I think even the franchise tag is kind of interesting to an extent, but I, I'd be surprised if the Jets use either just based on how they value the position. And I'm not sure Gase and Douglas are crazy enough about Anderson to do that. 
think the transition tag makes a lot of sense. The franchise tag is a little crazy. Like you said, I think about $19 million. Robbie Anderson's good. He's not $19 million good. That might be a little too rich for anybody's blood. But we'll see how this offseason plays out. I will say this, Joe. I agree with parts of your plan. I disagree with parts of your plan. But I think overall, at least it's a cohesive, coherent plan. I'm hoping that whatever plan Joe Douglas and Adam Gase have up their sleeve, it's also cohesive and coherent. And I hope that it has the full support of ownership because the last thing that the Jets need is more fickle ownership moves here. We've seen way too many times in the Jets history recently in the last decade where ownership has been at the heart of the problem, whether it's making a decision or butting into a decision. We could talk about a variety of different ones. In fact, the Le'Veon Bell decision, forcing Le'Veon Bell on a coach that clearly didn't want him. Either you're going to go out and get Le'Veon Bell and you're going to get a coach that wants him, or you're going to get a coach and tell him that he has the free reign to get whoever he wants and not butt in there. It makes no sense to go out and spend all this money and then hire a coach that doesn't want to use the guy. So I hope, and I know you do too, that ownership doesn't become a problem here and that Douglas and Gase have a good plan and that they're able to execute it properly. Amen to that. Amen to that. And with that, I think there's nowhere else to go but home. So, Joe, thanks so much for coming on to this edition of the Roundtable. For anybody that hasn't read Joe's plan for the offseason, go ahead and check it out now over at TurnOnTheJets.com. It's a 12-point plan because Joe loves to do things in 12-packs. I think he probably has a bunch of 12-packs of beer down in his basement ready for the 2020 season. I hope he doesn't need to get drunk on them because of how sad he is based on the level of play that he's watching on the field, which unfortunately would have been the case for a lot of us over the last few years. Joe, tell everybody what else you have up your sleeve because I know that you're constantly working on things. I see the drafts folder over at TurnOnTheJets.com, Joe. I see that the wheels are always turning. You've always got stuff going. So what's to come in the next couple of days and weeks for you? Just our normal, consistent stream of content of articles on TurnOnTheJets.com, content on the Twitter at JCaparoso, uh, and stay with the Turn on the Jets podcast for announcements around a new audio project we're going to drop in february that will feature myself and connor rogers really excited about this one will be something pretty different from anything i've done before uh, so more info and more sort of teasers on that coming soon go ahead and follow joe on twitter at jay caparoso and make sure that you read everything he's doing over at turnonthejets.com and quick reminder that if you haven't subscribed to the Turn on the Jets podcast or Play Like a Jet on iTunes, if you could do that and give us five-star reviews, we'd really appreciate it. If you like the shows, it's a really good way to help out, and it doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time, but it's an enormous help for us. So if you could do that, we'd be grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.